Welcome to Grad School, the Bruce Gradkowski Podcast. Upping your football knowledge. Class is now in session. A lot going on in the NFL. I know it's the offseason, but Tom Brady's still not showing up. That's a new one. Le'Veon Bell not around for the second year in a row. Ben Roethlisberger, Mason Rudolph, that whole ordeal. Is it blown out of proportion or not? We will talk about it. I have a good friend of mine coming on the show from NFL Network, Aditi Kinkwabwala. She does a fantastic job in the media world, a lot of great insight, and we will get to her shortly. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Continue to send me your questions and feedback on Twitter, bgradkowski5, and also Instagram, bgrad05, and Facebook, Grad School. Uh, I, I enjoy bringing you guys information and also the feedback. The feedback's most important. And I will, I will start to break down these divisions. As we get closer to training camp, OTA's underway, mini camp coming up soon, break down the divisions, go through who I think the winners and losers in the divisions are, who's going to be the NFL MVP, uh, a lot to discuss, a lot to get to. It's only the beginning. We're just getting started. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to bring my good friend on. I'm excited for my good friend to join me today. She's a superstar in this industry, born in New York, raised in New Jersey, graduated from Cornell University. Before joining NFL Network, she was a journalist for San Antonio Express, also a reporter for Wall Street Journal, covered the Giants through their last Super Bowl run, and currently now lives in Pittsburgh with her husband and son, Aditi Kinkawabwala. Thank you for joining me today. Bruce, you know a lot about me. That was a little freaky. A lot of information. <laughs> well, well, Google gives you a lot of information these days. <laughs> <laughs> I should take a look at that. You want to hear something really funny? James Harrison was telling me all about my house. He Googled where I lived. That's yeah. That's kind of. And we were arguing about the square footage of my house. Yes. Uh, that was a little freaky. I was going to say that. How do you know what my basement looks like? Yeah, that's a little creepy because you could go on Google Maps now and you could do the bird's eye view and you're actually oh, looking yeah. down at someone's house. Well, and that's what's so funny is that I came home and I told my husband, James Harrison knows exactly where we live and what our basement looks like. <laughs> and Matt's showing me that it's not that hard. You know, you do the property search, you find out what house I bought, then you go on Zillow, you see our basement. So Matt says, look, we could figure out where James lives. Yeah. And we did that. I never even told James this. We did the uh, Google Earth, the satellite view, and James is in the driveway. That's whatever <laughs> the photo was. Is he in the driveway doing, like, squats and deadlifts? <laughs> he was just there in his, you know, ubiquitous sweatsuit for sure. I've never seen a man so committed to wearing oh. a heavy hoodie and heavy sweatpants. Every day of practice. You know what? And, and I was at James Harrison's house one time because um, going Was he through, wearing sweatpants? I don't, no. Because we were getting worked on. Like, so, you know, with, with the injuries I was having with my shoulder and so forth towards the end of my career, he, you know, I mean, he, who else better than to ask for advice than James Harrison, who spends $300,000 a year on his body to take care of? And. So I go to his house and his guys working on my shoulder and legs and hamstring and you know and, and James like I have a routine every week. This guy shows up right after the game. He does this right after the game so then it can flush everything out. I mean, it's awesome to see the dedication he's had and that's why he's played for so long. It's such a tough position. 
Well, he's officially retired, and he's still working out. You've <laughs> yeah. seen this, right? The videos he posts. I don't know. I feel like I would have taken a break, drank a beer or something for a little while. Well, well you know what? And it happened to me, though, too. I mean, we still enjoy working out, but what I enjoy is doing my own thing now. Like, I don't have to follow a certain strength coach's guideline, or I don't have to worry about – not lifting too much because of my right shoulder and I have to throw. So that's probably what James is going through now. He's like, man, I'm going to continue working out. Watch, I bet you he trims up, loses some weight, and he's going to be just shredded, even though he already was. Uh, It's possible. That's the weirdest thing, Bruce, is seeing guys after they play, like Alan Fanica. Yeah. You can't tell me that that was an offensive lineman. I mean, he looks like a wide receiver. Yeah, he's so skinny now, right? But be, right. and these big guys have to do that nowadays, you know, t- just for their health reasons. They're playing it yeah. over 300 pounds, and now, like you said, Alan Fanica looks great. But so you you've been around the Steelers. I mean, I just wanted to get you on because you have so much great insight, and you and I have talked about maybe coming together and doing this together full time, which would be cool. But we'll see. And um, no pressure or anything. Just throwing it out. No, there right no now, pressure. Right? I'm going to throw it out there. <laughs> You know, see if I can land you. But you're 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 a hot topic. You're you're the big you're the real deal. Um, but you've been around the Steelers. You were at rookie minicamp, and I know right now a lot's going on between Mason Rudolph and Ben Roethlisberger. Is this really being overblown? I you know what? First of all, I think this nonsense about my words are being taken out of context that Ben offered. I mean, you said them, but I do agree with you that the piece that's being overblown is the Mason Rudolph part of it. I mean, who would say? It's not like anybody expects Ben Roethlisberger to not be nice to to play like the third grade Mean Girls routine in the quarterback's room. I think that that piece is a little absurd. I think what's sort of unusual, and you and I texted about this after it happened, were the comments about, I'm not sure why this decision was made, and wouldn't you think that we could get more help more immediate help in the third round. We could get a really good player that could help in the third round. And this is this is the opposite of what a reporter should probably say. I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of reporters that love the idea of having these quotes come out there and play with them. But it's kind of like, why say that? Like, what's the point? What What's the agenda behind publicly questioning what, the general manager and the head coach and the front office decides to do. I think that's the piece that sort of raised a few eyebrows. Like, yeah. like, where are you going with that? I mean, you could totally feel it, I'm sure. I mean, and look, every quarterback, Tom Brady has had nine quarterbacks drafted since he's been the Patriots starter. I'm sure he wasn't thrilled about every single one of them. I'm sure he wasn't thrilled when Bill Belichick was clearly in love with Jimmy Garoppolo. But I'm guessing that Tom Brady complained to his wife and he complained to his agent and maybe he complained to his best friend, but he didn't really go on the radio and say that. Yeah. Then again, I mean, this is Ben Roethlisberger. The people who love Ben Roethlisberger, he says what he's feeling, right? You're, you're right. This is, see, Bruce, this is why I can't do this. I'm just going to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, but you're right. I mean, wh- why put it out there? But I think also, I mean, that's kind of what has made – that's what makes Ben Ben. You know, like he's – he has no filter, and I think he's just kind of throwing it out there. And, and hey, he's a future Hall of Famer. So, right now, he I think he understands the leverage he has – so he's just going to throw it out there and give the fans kind of his insight, you know. And, and 
uh, stir up the pot a little bit. But I also I listened to his interview with uh, 93.7 The Fan with Filipponi and those guys and Cook. And um, it was funny because he kind of laughed as he said, oh, I guess he doesn't need my help. I'll just point to the playbook then. You know, so he laughed about that. But me knowing Ben, I mean, the guy's not going to give him a cold shoulder. I think it is like being a little blown out of proportion, like you even mentioned. And um, But it's just funny, you know, because, hey, this time of year, though, Aditi, we're all bored, right? We need something to, to, to grab onto. No, but you know what? But, Bruce, the piece of it that is fair is, Look, at the, we were just talking about James Harrison and getting to a certain age, and you went through this. When, quarter, when players, period, when quarterbacks especially get to a certain age, a team has to think about what's happening, what the succession plan is. And this is not that unusual. I mean, Art Rooney and Kevin Colbert have been talking about this the entire offseason. There have been so many pictures of Mike Tomlin looking googly-eyed at all of these quarterbacks. They've done their work. They've done their due diligence. And Okay, now Ben Roethlisberger is saying that he's going to play for another three to five years. I mean, he himself never even said another three years at the end of the season. I was the one at the press conference that kind of the season ending pre- the after the loss to the Jaguars that kind of pressed him on this, like, do we need to talk about this or are you definitely coming back? And he said, no, I'm back. But he didn't at that point say three to five years. Yeah. And even according to Will Graves of the Associated Press, even earlier this week he said it's still kind of a – Yes, he'd like to play for another three to five years, but he's taking it one year at a time. For several years now, we've heard, okay, one year at a time. We've heard a year ago it was he's not sure if he's coming back. He's going to spend the offseason talking to his family and figuring it out. And, you know, so it's not – it's not unusual for a team to want to think about what the future looks like, whether that future is three years from now, five years from now, one year from now. It's it's sort of like that's the piece that I mean, but he does raise. I'm just going to get myself in trouble. I have to be very careful, Bruce, because you know what? It's sort of like in my day job, I have to go in there, and you know that um, sometimes things that you say can be misconstrued. Yeah, no, and, and well, <laughs> and that that's I mean that is the name of the game. You say one thing, and it's the headline, but you didn't really mean it that way. And but I think you know, look. I'll bring up my point. I think I'm actually – I agree with the Steelers drafting a quarterback because I don't want to see them getting into a situation where something happens with Ben or – I mean, the guy's getting older. Anytime these Hall of Fame quarterbacks of Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, you know, look at Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. You know, Far or Rodgers got to sit by behind Favre for a few years. I mean, that was great. But how much did that help him? And this is a piece that people don't get. You know, and like we've been talking about this in Cleveland with Baker Mayfield and Tyrod Taylor. Eli Manning sat behind Kurt Warner. I mean, there's a lot to learn. The NFL game comes at you quickly. The playbook comes at you quickly. A lot of these guys especially haven't gotten to do the center quarterback exchange. You know, they've played almost exclusively out of the shotgun. There's so much to the game that they need to learn. What is wrong with sitting and learning? Why do you need to throw a rookie out there week one? And we saw in Cleveland last year how that screwed up Deshaun Kaiser. Exactly. That could have benefited from sitting for a little while. But I think, you know, like going back to this idea, going back to Ben Roethlisberger, and he has every right to want to win right now. And what makes if he's saying, what makes my team better today, that's great. And I get that, and I would feel exactly the same way. And whatever time he has left, obviously, he wants to win, and he wants to win now. He shouldn't be worried about setting up the 
the future of this organization. But by the same token, when you play for a franchise your entire career, when that franchise on occasion goes out on a limb for you, do you owe that organization anything? Is it a player's responsibility to think about the future of the organization or no? Do you just think about the today and now and that's it? Yeah, I mean, and that's tough. I mean, because – and it's tough for both sides because Art Rooney, he has to plan for the future. Kevin Colbert, Mike Tomlin, they have to know what do they do if Ben's not around. Now, I think Landry Jones is a very good backup quarterback. Now, is he the future of Pittsburgh? I don't know. I mean, I don't think. I mean, he could be a good bridge guy for the next, you know, starting quarterback. And I don't even know if that's Mason Rudolph. But I think you're never – wrong having more quarterback more good quarterbacks than you don't I mean the Steelers been in those situations before when guys have gotten hurt and they're going to their fourth guy you know the way Ben plays he's getting older there's not nothing wrong with having more insurance policies and I think that's what Mason Rudolph and and Landry Jones are you know and then you could say how they just drafted Joshua Dobbs so what's up with that but I think for the value and I went through this with Andrew Filipponi because he's like, well, if you had a first-round grade on Mason Rudolph, why don't you take him in the second round? And I said, well, because that's the point where you do see James Washington and you do say, well, no, this receiver helps us right now. But now when you see right. Mason Rudolph still available in the third, you're like, shoot, man, he's still around? Let's just trade do you remember, up. Do you remember when Mike Shanahan took Kirk Cousins? He'd taken RG3 right. second. And then later on, he came back into the Kirk Cousins, and everyone thought that that was kind of insane. But how brilliant did that turn out? Yeah, and the guy, be? the poor guy, lost his know. job. And look, Josh Dobbs <laughs> could be, Josh Dobbs could be great trade bait. You could get something out of that. Look at what the Patriots turned Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett into. My whole you thing, know, just because you're a player, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. I mean, just because speaking on that about Garoppolo, my whole thing, and I've talked to a few people in the organization with the Steelers of. You keep drafting these young quarterbacks, but my whole thing is, are they going to get developed the right way? I mean, in right. New England, you're, it's a system, it's detailed, it's specific, you're learning the game. Now, in Pittsburgh, they've been very fortunate to have a veteran quarterback forever in Ben Roethlisberger. They had Charlie Batch and Byron Leftwich forever. So now, all of a sudden, you, you bring in these young quarterbacks Who's developing them to get them on the right track to be, you know, good when it comes? Now, I think Randy Feekner does a great job, and I think he's more detailed than what they had. So I'm hoping that's the case because these young quarterbacks, they need that. Well, you know, Ben made the point of saying that Landry Jones has kind of been the guy that helped younger quarterbacks. If Ben's number one responsibility, which it is, I um, he's completely valid in saying that. If his number one responsibility is to prepare for the week ahead, then they're fortunate they have a guy in Landry Jones who is so good with this playbook, who is such a kind of brainiac in that room. But you were in that room, you know. I mean, yeah. who was the third guy in the room when you were there? Well, it was Landry Jones. And that's why I give Landry oh. Jones a lot of credit is because when he came out, he wasn't getting taught like how I did it with John Gruden. I mean, it was just footwork, timing, rhythm, what side of the field you're reading versus what progression, what audible you're going to versus this coverage, that coverage. Landry Jones did a great job putting in the work himself. Of course, I'd try to help him with footwork, timing, rhythm. You know, Randy Feekner's trying to get Ben prepared and trying to get all of us prepared, but there's a lot more on the plate than just trying to develop a third-string quarterback. You know, you have to be ready right now. 
Um, but that's why I have a lot of respect for Landry because he does put in the work but and he he worked hard. Now that you say that, do you say? I mean, because we know that Randy Fickner has been elevated. He's been given this promotion to offensive coordinator, but there's not another second quarterbacks coach. Do you feel if there's two young quarterbacks in that room, if there's a guy, Mason Rudolph, that the Steelers clearly, you know, have said they had a first-round grade on him and feel there's a high ceiling for him, do they need a coach dedicated solely to just developing these young quarterbacks? I mean, that, that is what's tough because I don't even see a quality control guy in their in their building that has that. Bruce, maybe that's a job you should be <laughs> applying for. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they turned me down. I don't, I don't know, but um, – but, yeah, I mean, you have a good point there. I think this time of year, Randy Feigner can focus on developing these young quarterbacks and getting them ready up through training camp. Now, once training, you know, the mid part of training camp hits, you have to start focusing on, you know, Ben, the playbook, the offense, the schemes. You know, and Randy, I know that's a lot on his plate right now that he has to worry about because now this is his offense. He has to put his own little tweaks and spins on things. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. But I saw, you know, this. Yeah, they'll have to do it without Le'Veon Bell, probably. Well, and that's what Again. I was. That's what I was going to ask you about about Le'Veon Bell's decision to hold out and not going to sign his tender. You know, is there? I mean, do you even see, um, you know, a, you know, a possibility in sight to even sign this guy long term at this point? I mean, I think the two sides are just really far apart right now. I think that Le'Veon is feels very strongly about. Um, sorry, I am putting something in this. I'm being a absentee parent right now and giving my child an <laughs> iPad so that he's quiet while we ch- talk. And I'm putting something in the iPad for him to find. In any case, um, look, I don't know anyone that has held the Steelers hostage and had it work. And I think Antonio Brown is the best person to speak. I can't remember him ever missing practice, asking for a veteran's day off, not bringing everything he has. A year ago, he made it very clear that he thought it was really important for Le'Veon Bell to show up. I mean, my first year in Pittsburgh was when Mike Wallace held out and Antonio Brown showed up every day. And who got the big contract? Antonio Brown did. And he likes to say the first rule of getting better is showing up. He said that a year ago. He said it again this week in regards to Le'Veon Bell. And The piece here is Mike Tomlin takes care of his players. Mike Tomlin is not going to play Le'Veon Bell hard. He's not going to run the risk of injury. Just show up. Just stand on the sideline. Just watch the guys work if you refuse to come to some sort of agreement. But I think that – I think it's a little bit short-sighted. I don't understand this negotiating ploy because a year ago this is what Le'Veon Bell did he showed up the first week of the season and it took him a full month to get going you're right he was in he was in shape he just wasn't in football shape it took one whole month and then if you look at his numbers through last year Bruce he was far less efficient than he's ever been in his career now was he far less efficient because he missed eight months of off-season training and it took him that one month to get going to get into game shape going, or was he far less efficient because of the cumulative effect of the carries? And now you've got another 400 touches from a year ago. So what will we see come September when he shows up? Well, and I and think it's just hard. I, yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, and you're right. And he because he came in sluggish. He, he was a little rusty starting the season. But if I'm the Steelers, 
you're, you know, and this is what happens in the NFL. Look, us players were products, okay? So they're going to use Le'Veon Bell. They're going to continue to give him the football even when he does show up because you know why? They're trying to win. So they're going to give him well, the ball. And th- that's it, Bruce. This is my fear. If, if I'm Le'Veon Bell's agent, I'm saying to him, you're not doing yourself any favors because if you do this, you'll sign your tag. They'll pay you $14.5 million. They'll run the wheels off of you and say, okay, goodbye. Go try and find yep. something now. Yeah. You know? Like, that, and it's like you said. Why do They don't owe him anything at this point. If they yeah. have him for one year, they're not going to sit here and say, okay, we're going to take care of him. We're going to use James Conner and the rookie Samuels, and we're going to make sure that we've got this guy not just this year but five years from now. No, if he's on a one-year deal, what do they owe him at that point? You're right, and that's what I fear I, for Le'Veon's sake is sign that long-term deal, get some protection. Yeah, $14 million is a lot of money. But when you're talking about in the NFL world and what Le'Veon Bell could be making uh, long-term, he needs to protect himself. But this is a Kirk Cousins-type situation. I think it's to the point where it's you know, Le'Veon Bell is trying to reset the running back market, saying, look, I'm not just a running back. I'm a receiver. I do so many things. Look how many touches I have a game in a season. But it's not only that. I mean, I don't disagree with him. He is such a valuable part of that offense every single play, whether he carries the ball, he catches the ball, or he stays in and blocks. I mean, they need him for every play. And I understand what he's saying. The reason that the running, the wide receiver market exploded is that these wide receivers, any single time that they touch the ball, are a threat to score. A running back is not necessarily a threat to score every single time he touches the ball. A running back is not your most explosive option. And in fact, last year, 64 players had more big plays than Le'Veon Bell. 64 guys had more 20-plus yard plays than Le'Veon Bell did. So he can't make that argument, but he is valuable every single down. They can keep him in every down. They need him no matter what they are doing, whether Ben is throwing the ball, whether somebody else is, whatever they're doing. They need Le'Veon Bell. So that's his argument. So he can say, I'm worth more than $8 million a year. But to sit here and say, it's $17 million or bust, I want A-B money or forget right, it. Right. I mean, again, yeah. it's like you, you don't want to price yourself out of taking care of the future. Well, I think you, it's a little short-sighted to sit here and say, okay, because it's just, it's just not smart, I don't think, to pay one year on this tag. No, and I agree, but you know what? If he does come back and have a year like he did last year, someone will pay that type of money, and that's what he's counting on. So he's just betting on himself, and that's where you run the risk. I mean, the guy runs the risk. You know, those Steelers can run the wheels off him, and there could be, you know, like a few years back where he has a few injuries during the season, and now where is he sitting after this year? But someone will pay that, I feel like, if he, you know, eventually gets out of Pittsburgh, which it doesn't seem like they're going to come to a deal. Uh, it doesn't look particularly good right now. I think there was more optimism earlier in the um, negotiating period, but now I just, you know, the Steelers said they tabled it until the draft, so um, the expectation, I mean, they have until July 16th to come to something. Yeah. I think it would would be really good if he would show up. You know, even if they don't get a deal, work out something. And you played for Mike Tomlin. You know he'll look out for him. He's not going to let him get hurt in training camp. He's not going to put him in a position to that. And a few years ago, Bell didn't even play in the preseason. 
and he had a phenomenal year. I can't. I was that 2016. I can't remember, but there was one year where he didn't. He only played in one preseason game. I think he only played 20 snaps in that preseason game, and he had the best year of his career. Yeah. Now I don't like talking politics too much because I like just sticking to the game. <laughs> uh, but I just wanted your input. Well, the two overlap right now. You're right. In case you missed it. Well, and they've been overlapping for a few years now, but. So role changes. I mean, now you can stay in the locker room for the national anthem if you don't want to knee, but if you're on the field, you must stand. Those who don't, their team will be fined by the league. So what's the reaction right now from players about this role, and what's the buzz from the owners and teams? Well, you know, I've talked to quite a few, actually, Bruce, who said it was an entirely unnecessary role. There are certainly some players that are very sort of bent out of shape that they weren't even a part of this conversation, that they weren't consulted, that there was no piece of that. And just frankly, I don't, you know, you've already, this is all kind of in response before the president a year ago called players who kneeled sons of bitches. (laughs) There were less than 10 players kneeling. Yeah. All of a sudden the guy says this and you had, you had, entire teams feeling the need to make some sort of protest. And there's, there's multiple problems here. One, this has been wrongly defined. This has never been a protest against the anthem, against the military, or against the flag. This is about a display, and this is a protest against social justice, social injustice, excuse me. Yes. Uh, it's about police brutality. And in fact, the person who suggested to Colin Kaepernick that he kneel for the first time is a military, military veteran. So the whole conversation has kind of been co-opted and reframed and the original meaning is lost. And I just I worry. I mean, I remember I thought that the Steelers made a brilliant decision in Chicago last year when they said, you know what, we don't want to be used as pawns. We don't want to be a part of this conversation at all when everybody felt compelled in some way to respond. And so it was Vince Williams, the linebacker, who said, hey, a few years ago, nobody had even came out for the anthem. That was played before we took the field. Let's just all stay in the locker room. Then we don't need to rehash the story, but obviously Al Villanueva was caught by cameras with his hand over his heart. Nobody saw everybody else in the mouth of the tunnel. The Steelers came home to 3,000 nasty voicemails uh, on their main phone number. I mean, it's almost like this isn't going to solve anything. Right. You know, people who stay in the locker room, you might be staying in the locker room because you're going to the bathroom. Or you might stay in the <laughs> locker room for some other reason. And all of a sudden, the next day, you'll get some nasty messages from who knows who, you know? I just... No, you're right. There's so many things about this that I feel are a bit misguided. Well, and, and but we, I mean, we could have a whole conversation about this. That would be a whole other conversation. It, no, you're right. You're right. And, you know, because a lot of these guys are my friends, right? So... And you've made a you made a good point. It's not these guys aren't protesting the national anthem. They're using their voices to be heard, and and they're pro. pro- they're using their platform, and this this is the piece, Bruce, that makes me crazy. I'm interrupting you, but we sit here and we say, I mean, how many times am I told to stick to sports? Or we're told, even though we are citizens of the United States, we are not supposed to be engaged in what else is going on in the world. But we never told a businessman stick to business. Right. We never say that. Businessmen can run for office. Doctors can run for office. We have a doctor running, running the HUD right now. Nobody says, hey, stick to medicine. Why are athletes told stick to sports? 
A lot of these athletes are smart, man. I mean, look at like the brand LeBron James built himself. You know, so within within athletics is a business. Your body. Look at James Harrison. We talked about him for his body is his business. He, you know, he's a business man. You know. So, right. um, now that's a good point. But now, so the Cleveland Browns, the Cleveland Browns are on hot, hard knocks. I mean, is this, is this something Hugh Jackson wants knowing his job's on the line this year? Todd Haley's in the door. He's OC. Todd Haley knows uh, John Dorsey from Kansas City. You know, what's going to be like the main storylines on this show, do you think? Well, the First of all, I don't think they wanted any part of this at all, but, you know, these are the rules, and so there they are, and I think it'll be fascinating. And you know what? They've got a lot of great personalities. Jarvis Landry is a star. Tyrod Taylor is a star. Tyrod Taylor is a guy we could talk about for a while. Hard Knocks is going to be crazy. You go take your little man to the park. We (laughs) We have plenty of time to catch up because, you know, the sun doesn't come out much. You know, in Pittsburgh, we got to enjoy these days. <laughs> Seriously, exactly, Bruce. So we're going to take advantage of the sun and play, and I will be happy to come back and chat more about Hard Knocks and we, the Cleveland Browns we will and come, why I think people shouldn't sleep on Tyrod Taylor. We will come back for part two. Aditi awesome. Kikawabwala, thank you. It's always a pleasure. You know, I wanted to flip the script. I wanted to be the one to interview you this time, you not interview me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was definitely fun, and we'll have to do it again. Yeah. Although I have to be more careful, I guess. <laughs> Never. We'll have a good one. Have fun at the park. All right. Thanks, Bruce. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. You heard it from Aditi Kinkobwala. Right now, she does a great job, a lot of insightful information, and she does her research, very articulate, and it's always good to have her on the show. Thank you guys for continuing to tune in to grad school. It's always fun. The season is really right around the corner. OTAs, mini camp. Uh, I will keep you updated. And also, I will start breaking down these divisions, talk about the winners and losers, continue to keep you updated on the Pittsburgh Steelers, Cleveland Browns, um, and just keep getting after it. Whatever you guys choose to do, whatever you're doing out there this week, this day, go get after it. Go be great. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>